0: Um, Luke 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell, that's Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, Uh, calling ten of his servants. He gave them ten minus. And said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more and he said to him well done good servant because you have been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over 10 cities and the second came saying lord your mina has made 5 minas and he said to him uh, and he said to him and you are to be over 5 cities then another came saying lord here is your mina And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and how uh, challenging it is to us. We ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to take the challenge of this word and uh, turn it uh, into hope and into fruit and into life, that you would uh, take your word and it would cause our hearts to trust you more. And uh, I do pray uh, that you would make us into a church uh, that you have sprinkled with many gifts, many different gifts, and that you would take our gifts and uh, you would uh, multiply them um, like, like loaves and fish, that they uh, would become uh, uh, far more than our uh, skill or abilities, and that you would take this church and that uh, we would do your work and that we would be faithful with the little that you've entrusted to us. So use these words to encourage us, and uh, send your Spirit uh, to help me as as I communicate, and to remember the things that you've given me to say. And uh, we thank you for this time now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we've been, over the last, uh, actually last year, Well, we were looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we we were looking primarily at Jesus' journey. Jesus walked from kind of his hometown area in Galilee, uh, about 63 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, He was walking with his disciples in the last months of his life towards Jerusalem, and he's been teaching them. He's getting very near to Jerusalem. And his disciples, uh, in that journey, are kind of thinking, okay, here's Jesus. He's the king. He's the promised king of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah, and he's coming to Jerusalem. That must mean that the kingdom of God is about to appear. It's about to come. Things are going to be made right. God's big action is going to happen. And it turns out that Jesus, in this parable, he wants to kind of correct them and say, well, actually, it's not going to quite work like that. All right? I'm not going to go into Jerusalem, and, I, and everyone's going to make me king, and then I'm going to become ruler of the world uh, right then. Actually, I'm going to go, and I'm going, I'm going to die on the cross. And then he's going to be raised uh, uh, three days later and he's going to spend 40 days kind of preaching and telling people about the kingdom. And then he's going to go back to his father in heaven and he's going to uh, be absent. And then he's going to come back and the kingdom is going to come. And there's going to be this time of delay. The kingdom is not coming right now. There's going to be a period of delay. And what the disciples need to prepare themselves for is that during that period of delay, which we're living in right now, Jesus is not here. He's, he's in heaven. We're waiting for him to come back. That's what Christ, all Christians believe, have always believed, that they believe that Jesus is coming back. And uh, during that time, Jesus' disciples are being entrusted with a work to do. They're being entrusted with a mission to serve Jesus while he's gone as we wait for him to come back. And, uh, you know... Uh, Primarily, what we're called to do during that time is to be faithful with the gifts that God has given to us. Um, just these last couple of days, I've been down in Portland uh, at a conference called the Justice Conference. It was uh, actually a very large evangelical gathering in Portland, about four thousand people, uh, and the whole thing was about social justice, about um, you know global poverty and uh, uh, you know sex trafficking and. Uh, Uh, The orphan, global orphan problem, all these kinds of things, and it's about our responsibility as Christians to be a part of justice in the world. And um, you know, there were a number of speakers. There was one speaker in particular that um, really was his his presentation. It was kind of an interview. was was most meaningful to me. His name's John Perkins, and uh, he's he's 81 years old. Um, He grew up in uh, Mississippi. Uh, He was a big part of the civil rights movement. And actually, he grew uh, when he was uh, when he was growing up in Mississippi. Actually, his brother uh, was shot uh, by a police officer and was killed. And so he had to leave Mississippi because it wasn't safe for him to be there. And over the course of the many decades, he's done a tremendous amount of work in, you know, uh, the African-American community, uh, community building, starting uh, tutoring programs and internships for high schoolers. And it, his just life has just been a light to the world, uh, you know, in many communities, He's been a model to many people. Now he's 81 years old. And in this interview, the guy I asked him, he's like, listen, how did you do that? How did you sustain a life of serving people? And just being a blessing to the world for that many decades, what sustained you through all that? What, how did you do that? And what was so amazing to me is what he said was the number one thing for him. It was he needed to experience the grace of God. Actually, you know what he said? You know how he, he did community building? What caused him to be, you know, kind of a community leader? He said, I needed to confess my sin regularly, Every day. And to come and find that God was gracious to me. And what was so powerful to me is here we have a calling. We're in Bellingham. God's called us to be serving, to serve one another, to serve uh, the needs of Bellingham. A tremendous calling. He's, he's given us uh, many things. He's given us gifts and resources that we need to use and be faithful with. How are we going to do that? And it turns out that the big thing we need to know is we need to see that God has sprinkled his grace. He's lavished his grace on us. And when we have experienced the joy of that grace, that's what's really going to enable us uh, to you know, have a life of service to God. And I mean, that's what you want. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> I know that many of you, you want a life where you're serving God. You're using your gifts to serve God. And it turns out... It's not by just telling you, go out and use your gifts. It's by you experiencing the grace of God. That's what will give you a whole life, you know, this guy, decades of life of serving people, investing in people. So what I want to do this morning as we look at this passage is uh, show you three things uh, about how grace gives you, uh, enables you, um, is the source of a life of service to God. First i want to show you that you have been gifted by grace. God has gifted you with grace. By grace he's given uh, I'll explain what i mean by that but also you using your gifts, your resources that God giving that's God's given you he enables you to serve him by his grace. So not only have you been gifted but you're enabled by his grace. And lastly, once you serve him, and you go and you stand before him, at the end of it all, you're actually going to be rewarded by grace. Grace is going to be covering you from beginning to end. Uh, that, that is the thing that we live on. So those three points, that we've been gifted by grace, that we're enabled by grace, and that we're rewarded by grace. So, first, uh, you, are, you have been gifted by grace. Now, this parable uh, begins in verse 12... Uh, by, uh, by saying that uh, Jesus says that a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return and calling ten of his servants. The leader, the king called people to himself to be his servants and he gave them ten uh, minas. And a, a mina was roughly three months' wages. So he gave each of them uh, a little bit of money, three months' wages, and said to them, engage in bu- business until I come. Now, this is the way Jesus sees himself. is He's telling them, basically, I'm a ruler. I'm like a king who gives out these kind of gifts to uh, his servants and to his people um, to help them as they're going to be serving him um and actually there's this great uh, verse in Ephesians where when in Ephesians 4 is one of the great chapters of the New Testament that talk about the the spiritual gifts of the church and and uh, gifts that Jesus has given and it says that when he ascended on high so when he ascended on high when he became king he led hosts he led a host of captives and he gave them gifts he was freeing prisoners and the king was giving gifts and sprinkling gifts on the prisoners Prisoners. And you know what it's very much like is I, I've been rereading the Lord of the Rings series over the past few months. And if you don't know what the story of Lord of the Rings is about, uh, a couple hobbits, Frodo and Sam, who have gotten hold of this Ring of Power. And they go on this adventure to bring the Ring of Power to destroy it in Mount Doom. And it's this three part series where they go destroy the Ring of Power. And in the first book, it's called The Fellowship of the Ring. It's this, this band that's kind of around them, helping them on their adventure. There's, there's a dwarf and an elf and some men and some other hobbits, and they're on this adventure together. And one of the great, kind of most enchanting, beautiful parts of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is toward the end where they come to this region of elves called Lothlorien. And it's this beautiful place where these elves live, and they live in, they sleep in the trees, and it's, it's very kind of enchanting, and they meet this queen of the wood named Lady Galadriel, and she's kind of can just look into their eyes and know their thoughts, and she's very wise. And, and uh, it's this very moving part of the book and this kind of transformational time for this band as they come to this region. And when they're leaving, they're there for, I, I don't I think they're there for several weeks, maybe months. And, uh, and when they're leaving, the Lady Galadriel um, gives them these gifts to help them on their way, on this adventure that they're going on. And they give this special kind of elfin bread that, you know, Sustains them for a long time, and they they have these cloaks that they give to them as well that um, are specially made elf uh, elfin cloaks that you know they can they're like camouflage so that you can you can be in the woods anywhere and you put the cloak over you and no one can see you and uh, at one of the points one of the hobbits Sam says are these magic cloaks and there's this great part where the elves say to him that the about the cloaks that they have the hue and beauty. Uh, Of all these things under the twilight of Lorien that we love. For we put the thought of all that we love into all that we make. We put the thought of all that we love. Everything that enchants him about the wood and about the world is woven into these gifts that they're giving to him. And they say, you are indeed high in the favor of our Lady." For she herself and her maidens wove this stuff, and never before have we clad strangers in the garb of our own people. And so they say their hearts are like full of this love for the world and this lady of this wisdom, and it's actually woven into these garments and how these garments are made. And they're giving them uh, these gifts, kind of um, embody All the wisdom and love of these people and the beauty of of Lothlorien. And they give these uh, to the hobbits and to the, to the, the dwarf and the elf and the men for their journey. That's very much what Jesus does for us. He's a king who's giving us these special gifts. And the gifts have been crafted by him. And they, the thought of all that he loves is contained in the gifts that he's entrusted to us and given to us because he's our king and because he loves us. Now, what, what has he given us? What are those gifts that he's crafted specially? Well, the first gift, you know, the greatest gift, he's given us the gospel. He's given us a story. That lives in us. It's a, you know, and is there anything else that kind of contains everything that God loves more than the gospel? I mean, it's the story about his son who, in obedience, went to the cross to rescue the world. And he's given it to us. And, you know, what does the gospel do for us? What, I mean, what kind of gift is that? Uh, it's, it's food that we live on. It's uh, water that washes us. It's a sword uh, that we uh, fight the evil one with. Uh, it's, um, it's the thing that we love one another with. It's the story that we tell that shapes our children. I mean, what he's given this gift to us, and he says that we're like these jars of clay, that um, this treasure is uh, living inside of us. And uh, this is what uh, Paul says in Second Timothy. But, now, um, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. God has entrusted to us his story. And, um, and the thing about, you know, it's very similar uh, in this parable. Uh, the k- king gives his servants the, uh, these uh, minus, this money. And they're supposed to invest it. And, and the minus are supposed to grow and kind of become from one minus into ten minus. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel lives in us and it begins to grow. It it lives in a community and it begins to grow and it begins to extend to other people and it begins to bear fruit in our lives. And um, that's the first gift that God has given to us. And it has all the marks of his love and who he is in it. Um, But secondly, uh, God has given us maybe an even greater gift than the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, God himself, to actually live inside of us. God is living inside of us. And you know, uh, in this parable, what the ruler is is giving to the servants is money, right? He's giving them uh, money. And in, uh, in Ephesians 1, Paul says this, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. He says that he uses money language for understanding what the, the Holy Spirit is. What is he talking about? Is a down payment on our inheritance. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, the Bible says that, that the world is broken up into two ages, this present age and the age to come. And the age to come is basically when God's kingdom comes and God makes all things right in the world. And, uh, and there's no more death, uh, there's no more violence. Uh, and we become who God has made us to be and we live in God's presence forever and ever. And we love one another with burning full hearts. And uh, we finally become who God has meant us to be. And this is coming in the age to come. And what he says is that the Holy Spirit is the animating power of that whole world. The thing that's animating people, teaching them how to speak to one another and to love one another and to praise God and to build things to his glory in that world is the Holy Spirit that animates the whole, uh, the whole world. And he says that spirit from the future world you have living in you now. What you are is you are a little chunk of that future world put down back in the middle of this broken world. And it's by the Holy Spirit, which is is a down payment. You see, it's a it's a, a payment ahead of time of what you're going to have in full to come, and uh, and and what happens is that Spirit is given to us, and it it gives us certain abilities. That's the third thing. The, the third gift that uh, that God has given us by His grace is certain passions and abilities, which is an amazing thing. Um, that the Bible says that each one of you has been given by Jesus by the King, He is by his holy Spirit given you certain uh, passions, things that you love, things that you care about that you care more about than the other people in this room things that you're able to do I mean for some of you that's that's playing music or or uh, studying the Bible or listening to people and understanding people and, and uh, understanding where their hurts are, and you can kind of see into their heart and kind of draw out who they are. Some of you are hospitable. Some of you build things with your hands, and what that says, I and mean, this amazing thing, is that God has made a community of specialists. That's what you are: is you are a specialist in something. Okay, we are not all Jesus. We're, you know Jesus is the one who has all the gifts and who can do everything, and he's a hero. You're not that. You have a specialist, and the thing that he's entrusted to you, the gift that he's given to you, is actually different than everyone else. And uh, what that means is that uh, it's okay for you to be a specialist. And one of the things that you have to understand is that the things that you love about serving God, however it is that you love to serve God, the things that you care about the most, that he has crafted that for you. You know, like the elves are saying, um, the thought of all that we love has been woven into the gifts that we're giving you. The thought of all that God loves has been woven into the gifts that he's given you. And a huge part of us being faithful in the world and, and being who God has called us to be is for us as a church to realize the things that we're passionate about and to give ourselves to those things. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, John Calvin um, has a quote uh, about this passage where in his commentary where he says, uh, by this term, uh, Christ does not distinguish between natural gifts and the gifts of the Spirit. For we have neither power nor skill, which ought not to be acknowledged as having been received from God. And therefore, whoever shall determine to give God his share will leave nothing for himself. And so, uh, it's by grace that we've been given the gifts uh, that we have. And we need to acknowledge those things, that they're a gift from God, they've been crafted by God. But we also have to understand that they've been entrusted to us and that we need to be faithful to, uh, to use them for God's service. And so that leads to our second point, that not only have we been gifted by grace, but we are enabled by God to, to serve him through grace. So... Um, You know, in this passage, the ruler says, he tells his servants that they should take the money he gives them and go and kind of engage in business. And it says in verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more and uh And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now, this is a big thing for us to understand as being Christians, of what is Jesus calling us to. The main thing he's called us to is to be faithful. Is to be faithful with what he's given to us. And I'll tell you what that means. That means a few things. First of all, Uh, Jesus doesn't expect us to be the hero. Jesus is the hero. Um, You know, like I said, uh, 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 you're you're a specialist, and um, that means you don't have to do everything. Uh, You know, one of the things that's important for us to do is to realize the things that God's called us to do. And to not, we can't, what that means, if we're different kinds of specialists, we can't, Compare ourselves to one another all the time and say, Well, that person's really faithful and they do all those things, and I can't do those things. So I, I must be useless. Uh, I can't live up to that standard. I mean, there's a sense where we look at one another and we're encouraged and we're challenged by each other's faithfulness, but we have different gifts. And you have to look at your gifts and see that those things are valuable, that God has crafted them for you. You know, I, I remember uh, a while back listening to a biography about Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a pastor in. Uh, Uh, in London in the 19th century. And, uh, you know, some of this biography, I I don't know if this is all true, but it it said something like at one time he was the head of 66 different organizations. He had a church of 6,000 people. And he read six volumes of theology every week. And I'm just like, that's not human. I I just don't... there's no way I'm ever going to be able to. I'm a terribly slow reader. If I could get through one book a week, I would be happy. Uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe a couple a month, I'd be happy with that. And uh, and I remember the guy who was giving the talk in the biography. He's like, listen, um, it's good for us to celebrate people in church history, but let me just tell you from the outset: don't try to imitate this. Uh, it's not you're not going to be able to do it. And uh, and and it's one of the things for us to look at: what are the things that God has entrusted me with? And um, And to do those things, and you know, it's interesting uh, with these servants when they come. You know, the king comes back, and he's he's like, "All right, tell my servants to come. I want to hear what they did with the money that I gave to them." And you know what they don't say is they don't say, "Lord, I made you more money. Look at look at how skilled I am in uh, my uh, entrepreneurial skills or my business savvy." They don't say that. They say, "Your minus has made ten more." Your minus did it. Your gift did that. And they understand that that what they're doing, what they're simply doing, is I'm taking the thing that God has given to me, and I'm putting it in the place where he can do something with it. I'm just simply taking the thing that God has given to me, and I'm putting it in the place where he can do something with it. And what that means is, secondly, that not that, uh, uh, not only that we're not the hero, but our job is simply to show up. If you want to serve God in the world, your responsibility is simply to show up. The difference between people who are faithful with God as entrusted to them and people who are unfaithful with God as entrusted to them is that faithful people simply show up. They know they're not the hero. They know that they can't even grow their minus, you know, their gifts. They know that they can't make it fruitful. It's God who makes it fruitful. And... Um, And uh, so what we have to do is we have to prepare ourselves that when God calls us to do something, um, when God is calling us to his service, what it's largely going to look like, the big question that is gonna, we're going to be faced with is, am I willing to show up? Am I willing to take my body and put it in the place where God wants to do something with it? Because you know what? Your body is so important. Do you know that? Where are all these gifts? <laughs> Where are the gifts? Where's the gospel? The gospel's in your head and in your mouth and in your heart. Uh, Where's the Holy Spirit? It's in your body. Where are these skills and abilities? They're in your body. You have to take your body and put it in a place uh, where God God might do something. And the big decision, you know, it's just like prayer. I I feel that way for me. Like the big step for me in prayer is to go from saying nothing to saying something to God. I, I know that sounds, some of you are much better prayers than I am, and that sounds simplistic. But for me... That's the big step. Go from saying nothing to say something. The big thing of being faithful is going from not showing up to simply showing up. Being there and believing that God will do something. And that's the key. Is that the third thing is that when we understand that God is enabling us by his grace. Is that we need to understand that we need to know that God is good. Because this is, you know, the psychology of this passage is fascinating. Look, look at verse 20. They, you know, so the, these servants come to kind of give an account for what they've done with God, what God's entrusted. Them. The first guy says, your minus, it made ten more. Praise God, amazing. It's just growing. Uh, you know, the other guy said, your minus, it made five more. It's just, things are happening. It wasn't even me. The minus is growing. It's just growing. The gospel's growing. The gifts are growing. They're doing things. I didn't even I didn't plan them. And then the third guy comes Another came, this is verse 20, and said, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Right? So he didn't want to show up. He wasn't willing to take the thing that God entrusted him and put it in a place where it might be used. And he says this, this is his reason. For I was afraid of you. Fascinating. The people who don't show up are afraid of God. Because you are a severe, because you are a severe man, I knew that you were a severe man. It's people who are afraid and say that God is harsh. God wants to pounce on me, and that's their excuse to say I can't show up because I'm going to get pounced on. And uh, you know, uh, I I, you know I shared with you that I've been reading Andre Agassi's. uh, I just finished Andre Agassi's autobiography um, about his tennis career. One of the things that's interesting about Andre Agassi had a very long career, exceptionally long. I think he uh, uh, was maybe 36 or something like that when he, uh, when he finished his career. And his career was about to end when he was 22. He had a little spurt, and then he was going out. He wasn't doing that well, and he got a new coach. And the number one thing that the coach worked on him is he says, the reason you aren't going to go anywhere is because you're trying to be perfect. You're trying to be a perfect tennis player. And that is going to be the worst thing. For your tennis player, you have to learn to let the other person lose. <laughs> you need to play junk tennis. You need to, you're going to be a better tennis player if you're not a perfect tennis player. That transformed Andre Agassi. I mean, he went on to be one of the greatest tennis players uh, that, uh, that, you know, that's ever lived. He won every Grand Slam. He won a gold medal. Um, and, uh, and one of the things is, uh, as Christians, we're afraid of God pouncing on us. We are afraid that we're not going to be good enough. We're afraid that what we're going to do, I, you know, maybe I'm not a good enough person. Maybe I'm not wise enough. Um, I, I don't know how this is going to w- work. That will be the biggest thing, and that's what's amazing that Jesus is bringing out in this passage is that the guy that that didn't show up is the guy that believed that God was harsh. He didn't believe that God was good. He didn't. His heart wasn't full of the goodness of God. The the, the other servants they didn't even mention that. They didn't even mention. They weren't even thinking about that God was har- That the guy was harsh. They were like, I got, I got a minus. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm gonna go. What can I do with it? Where can I put it? it didn't even occur to him to think that, that God was harsh, uh, that the that the ruler was harsh, and um, and what's amazing is that the thing you know the thing that you're supposed to show up with, the place that you're supposed to put your body are really the things that you love. I mean, that's part of God's goodness is the ways that he's gifted us, the ways that he demands of us to be faithful are in the places that he's already made us to love, the, things that, the ways that we love to serve people, the, the, um, the skills that we love to use are, are the, often the things that we're good at. I mean, this isn't a huge burden. They, did, they, they didn't even think that. And I'll tell you that um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, this was, uh, he wrote a book on ethics, which is ethics is basically how do you live as a Christian. And the thing, Bonhoeffer's biggest thing, you know, Bonhoeffer uh, lived in Germany uh, during World War II. And what was happening in Germany, all the Christians in Germany, most of them, were just, went along with the Nazi party and they said, well, you know, we're not supposed to go against, we're supposed to love our country if we're Christians. That's what good Christians do is they love their country. So, you know, yeah, I know the Nazis, they're not perfect, but, you know, we can't go against them. I mean, that wouldn't be what a good, good Christian does. And uh, but what Bonhoeffer's like? Are you mad? You're sitting here thinking about being a good Christian and obeying the rules and and, uh, and, m- and making sure that you don't make a mistake, when you have one of the worst regimes in the world that's just slaughtering people and you're doing nothing. And so Bonhoeffer said, uh, and what he says in the beginning of his his uh, his book on ethics, this is what he says, is that those who wish even to focus on a problem of Christian ethic, those who want to think about how to live as a Christian, how to serve God, are faced with an outrageous demand. From the outset, they must give up the very two questions that led them to deal with the ethical problem. They have to give up, you have to give up these two questions. How can I be good? And how can I do something good? Bonhoeffer says you have to give up the questions about how can I be good enough for God? Instead, you must ask the wholly other, completely different question, what is the will of God? Do you see how different those are? What is God calling me to do? Where does God want me to put my body? And what Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer did, he became a spy. (laughs) He started an underground seminary. He was a conspirator uh, to try to assassinate uh, Hitler. Very unorthodox kind of Christian Christian actions, but was exactly what God was calling him to be uh, in Germany in that time because he gave up the question, how do I be good? How do I be, be, be perfect? I'm afraid that God is going to be harsh with me. And they said, what has God entrusted me with? What is the will of God for my life? And so... Um, That's the question, what is God throwing me into? And what you see what that is? You're not trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in your skills, you're trusting in God's grace. And when you found out that God is good, that God loves you, that God loves people, you're gonna throw yourself if that really has captured your heart, you're gonna throw yourself into something and you're gonna say, I just wanna see God work. And I'll tell you, for me as a church planter, that was when I I was in you know, I was in graduate school, I was gonna be a math professor. The number one thing I wanted in planning a church is I just wanted to be somewhere where I could just see God work. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see his power. I knew I couldn't couldn't plan a church plan. I couldn't engineer how to start a church. I just wanted to put my body in a place where I could see God work. So it's grace. You see how that's grace? It's God who's initiative. And it's just our calling to show up. Now, the last thing. So first, we're gifted by grace. You know, God's like the elves who makes these special cloaks and gives them to you for your adventure. And then uh, secondly, uh, it's enabled by grace. You're just called to show up. But third, you're going to be rewarded with grace, rewarded by grace. Now, um, you see in this passage, I mean, the scene in this passage is Judgment Day, right? Everyone's coming to give an account to the, the king about what did they do with God with what God had entrusted to them. And, you know, I'll tell you, even though, uh, you know, I'll always tell you that God has placed his final verdict on you. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ, God has placed his final verdict on you, or that you are approved by him, you are righteous in his sight now. But a strange thing is this, that when you, uh, everywhere you look in the New Testament, whenever it talks about Judgment Day, it always says that we will have to, every person will have to stand, even Christians, Christians and non-Christians will have to stand and give an account to God for the, the works that we have done in our bodies. It says that little refrain over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Every person will stand and give an account for God. And you, know, you imagine that. Um, you imagine the list of sins, I mean, day in and day out, throughout decades of your life, month after month, list of sin after sin after sin. And what that means is what Judgment Day is going to be like. If you're a Christian... You're, those, you're still going to give an account for all those sins, and what's going to happen is when those sins are, are that story is told to the world or to the angels, whoever is listening in this in this kind of scene, and your life story is told with all of its uh, scars, with each one each one that is accounted for, God will say, "Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven," and you feel that weight of that list, forgiven, forgiven. Paid for, paid for, paid in full, covered by the blood of Jesus, covered by the blood of the Jesus. And you ima- imagine the gratitude that is going to be stirring up in your heart as you say, wow, that I, I didn't even know those were all there. And Jesus covered all of those for me. And, uh, and you imagine, and, uh, you know, I should say this also. You imagine standing before giving an account without Jesus' blood. How terrifying that would be. The weight of all those sins over and over again, publicly told, before God. And yet, look at when you, in Jesus, the gratitude that we have of that everyone is paid for. And as the list goes on and on and on, I say, all these he's paid for? All these he's suffered for? All these he bore on the cross? But it's not just that. It's not just the the sins. But then also the rewards, because, you know, it's always that way that we'll be rewarded for our good works. You know, it's funny in this passage. It's amazing. You know, these servants are entrusted with a minus, you know, which is roughly, you know, let's say someone makes $60,000 a year. Three months' wages would be $15,000. So imagine someone being entrusted with $15,000 in our culture, a money manager or something like that. He takes the $15,000. He invests it. Uh, you know, pretty good return, $150,000 back, good job, well done, you know. Uh, and what's the reward? <laughs> the king comes and says, wow, you knew how to manage 15000 Here's 10 cities. <laughs> 10 cities? for You know, I, he was entrusted with a little, and all of a sudden, that's what, that's what Jesus is doing with us. The king has given us a little bit. He's given you a passion. He's given something that you love, way that you love to serve people. And if you just show up and do that, the reward is so um disproportionate <laughs> with what we've done for God. He wants to just pour on us his grace. And you know, I should say something about you know cities. Um, you know, the age to come is not gonna be, you know, bouncing around from cloud to cloud and you know, with a diaper and <laughs> the harps and stuff like that. You know, that's not what the age to come is, that's not what heaven is. Heaven is gonna be garden cities that we, in the presence of God, are going to be building these garden cities full of culture, full of music, full of arts and writing and um, using our hands to build things, food and, um, and uh, this rich culture. I mean, take all the cultures of the world, all the glory that the world has ever seen in every you know, ethnic group throughout history. Those are just a touch of the taste of the kinds of cities that we're going to, that we're going to build. Um, when God finally makes us who we are. And if you think, by the way, if you think that's crazy, like, wow, you believe in cities and the, and the future and the world to come, just drive into Seattle. That exists. There's towers, and we actually live in a world where there's skyscrapers and culture actually being built. You live in that kind of world, where, where amazing things are built, and, and we're, we're going to be living in a world that's even in, even greater than that. And Jesus says, Listen, if you're, you're faithful with a little bit, you show yourself faithful, you're entrusted, that you're willing to show up, that you, that you love God, and that you know that he's good, he's going to give you leadership and possibility to, to serve in these ways in the age to come, and it's going to be completely disproportionate from what you've done for him. And so here you see, <laughs> you go through the gifts that he first gives you, the enabling of those gifts, and the rewards for those gifts, he wants to just dump on you grace. Grace. And you go back to John Perkins, and he says, how do we become a group of people that are really energized, really serving people, you know, dumping on you that you guys need to go save the world won't do it. But being tasting of how good God is will give you the joy. And that's what will sustain you. And that's what God's calling us to do. And it's exciting to think I'm so thankful as I... I see all your gifts and the people that God's bringing here, that all the different gifts, and as I learn about them, and I as a leader try to create opportunities for, for you to serve, and I don't even know them. I know I don't do that well. It's still it's exciting for me to think that these are all things that God is engineering and that I'm not and that you're not, and that we're just following him in it. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you are doing in the world and that uh, we get to serve you within the context of a gracious God and that you just call us to show up I pray for those who are here and I pray that first you would bring it to their minds the place where you want them to show up the place where you want them to put their bodies and I pray that you would reveal to their hearts your goodness that you are with them, that you are the one working and that you give them courage and, uh, and that they would uh, feel secure in you and that they would show up. And I pray that each of us here would have the great privilege of seeing your power, seeing your work in people's lives, in our neighbors' lives, in this neighborhood's lives, in Bellingham's lives, uh, and, and uh, in many places uh, around the world, that we would just behold your glory As we look forward to the day when we will stand before you. And Jesus will be sufficient for us on that day. And we just give you thanks for him and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.